Architectural Window Systems are proud supporters of the A&D podcast and the architectural profession throughout Australia. Visit aws.com.au or contact one of our team for support with your next project. and design. My name is Brank Hermeletic and today we have two amazing architects with us all neatly and cosily crammed into our little studio here. Uh, both of these architects are from Aspect Studio and in no particular order they are studio director Kate Luckcraft. Luck, Luckcraft. I knew I was going to mess that up. Didn't I? Kate Luckcraft. How are you? I'm very well thanks. It's lovely to be here. Thank you and associate Bianca Pineda. Hi. Okay, so welcome and thank you very much uh, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come down here and chat with us at Talking Architecture and Design. I hope none of us will faint uh, in this uh, rather rather <laughs> cosy and, and warm environment. Okay, so can I ask each of you to give me a quick 30 second rundown of your focus and experience over at, well roughly 30 seconds, um, uh, rundown on uh, over your experience at Aspect Studio. Kate. Sure, thank you. Um, I'm very fortunate to have worked at Aspect Studios in the Sydney office since it began in 1999 and in that 20-year period have been part of it growing from a tiny little office of two people um, through its very organic growth to the scale of studio that we are currently and it's been an incredible process to be involved in so I feel very lucky. Okay, and Bianca? Yes, well, I come July, I will have been at Aspect for about eight years. I started as a student um, and I it was a complete accident. So my training's actually in architecture. So just uh, as a minor correction to your introduction, we're actually both landscape architects. You're both landscape yes. Okay, well, my apologies. There you go. Well, I have a bit of a... Um, Identity crisis. So my training is uh -huh. in architecture. I think a, a lot master's of architects Sorry. And it was a complete accident that I ended up at Aspect um, almost eight years ago, um, just as a student, and I never left. So um, I'm an associate there now, um, and I lead a team of about six to eight people, um, working on all of really exciting projects in the office. Okay, great. And look, while we're on the subject of Aspect. Um, as a firm, it's delivered some, well, quite iconic and, can I say, important projects. Um, One Central Park and Barangaroo South, I mean, mm -hmm. just to name a couple. Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen on the website, there's a bit of a um, salubrious roll call of, of, of um, projects out there. Um, how has the firm managed to capture such, you know, high-profile project projects, in your opinion? Oh, great question. We certainly have done some hard yards to get to this position. You don't just start an office and say, we're going to work on the best you mean projects it's not by in Sydney. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's through years of um, building trust and respect with great clients and great architects, I would say, and working with them on really interesting, complex projects, you know, gradually proving our, our worth. Okay, so um, who was the first client, if, if, if I may ask? One of our first clients was Waverley City Council back in 1999, and Mervac was probably the other um, main first client we had. Well, that's not, they're not exactly small small clients, are they, to start with? That's that's pretty good. They certainly started us on pretty <laughs> moderate-scale <laughs> projects. Okay. Uh, for um, Waverley City Council, what did you do? A cliff-top walk master plan. Okay. 
which was a really lovely project because it took us out walking the clifftop from um, North Bondi North, essentially. So all the way up through Dover Heights, uh-huh, Diamond okay. Head, that part of the world. Okay. Pretty spectacular it scenery. Is. It is, very much so. Okay, Bianca, um, you were a key member of the team delivering the concert and DA for the key quarter in Sydney Circular Key. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty large-scale civic redevelopment project mm-hmm. uh, and um, quite iconic, dare I say, mm-hmm. in the heart of Sydney CBD. Now, um, um, what did you learn from working on that design and um, what was the most rewarding part? Mm. Well, I would have to say, what haven't I learned? So, uh, Kate and I did the math today. We figured out we've been on the job since, in one form or another, since 2014. So, it's our sixth wow, year. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so we basically went, um, you know, I was probably one of the most junior people in the office at the time. I was more or less acting actually as Kate's sidekick on this project. And in that time, um, I've been able to work at basically every level um, on that job to the point of being project leader. So I've learned everything, everything on the job, everything okay. about the job, everything about designing for urban spaces. Um one, I think maybe the the most valuable thing that I've learned is collaboration. The number okay. of designers um, working on the project, I mean, at the time was an amazing roll call of up-and-coming architects and internationals, um, but also the client group, I think is fair to say, were it was a really supportive kind of creative um, team to be working with. So having, you know, such a high caliber of uh client representing each different stream so um you know really working with um caroline on the retail eve on the design it was that was probably my first experience with such a large and diverse client group so um uh, in terms of i assume it was high pressure yes and and what was the most (laughs) rewarding part i mean if there was one thing that you could pick what would it be in terms of a, uh, a rewarding? Yes. Well, I imagine all designers will say the same thing, which is for the first time, um, Georgia and I went on a site visit a couple of weeks ago, um, and it was the first time that uh, we had seen um, a lot of the hoarding had come down on the building. So you right. could appreciate the um, volume of the new laneway. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so rewarding to imagine that finally this part of the city which for so long had been a loading dock is now going to be returned to pedestrians there was light streaming in the heritage buildings had all been cleaned up and looked beautiful and just um, for the first time feeling the scale of the space something that you've just been working on for years um, and to see it in front of you was so satisfying so I think probably most designers would Okay. Say that that's the most satisfying part. Now you've just got the rest of the city to yes. fix up like that too. <laughs> um, so yeah, actually, that sounds actually fascinating. I mean, there are parts of our foreshore that really need a bit of a, you know, let's call it a makeover mm-hmm. um, in, in a lot of ways. So it's, 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 it's actually very nice to hear. Mm. Um, so Kate, what <laughs> are you doing at the moment that's, that's, high, high, um, that's something high profile that we can talk about? Well, Waterloo Metro is a really exciting precinct of the city, which is going to be completely transformed in a similar way to Key Quarter in that it's 
project with multiple buildings, multiple yeah. architects, sitting on top of a new railway station. Right. Aspect is That's a metro station, isn't metro it? Metro station. Right, okay. So Waterloo Metro. And Aspect is responsible for the public domain around and between all of the buildings and also communal roof terraces and gardens on top of each building. So it's, it's an amazing project. Architectural Window Systems are proud supporters of the A&D podcast and the architectural profession throughout Australia. Visit aws.com.au or contact one of our team for support with your next project. The Waterloo Project, that's... Um, so. That one goes it's just down here, isn't it? From down, down, down the bottom, it stops. So it's part of the new CBD, CBD metro. The one that goes through Bankstown, is that right? Is that the one? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yep. yep. And then a line of stations that go through the CBD. So right, which will, which will then connect up to the new metro, the northwest one. Yes. Is that correct. What is? I mean, actually, I, I quite like trains. I mean, I'm not not sort of you know <laughs> in sort of like a train spotting way, but more so in terms of I like the idea that we're getting more transport in yeah. Sydney because we really kind of need it. Um, is that part of the attraction of, of 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 this that particular project, or do you think that um, there are other things that that you, you enjoy doing as as part of that project? I uh, no, I think you've hit the nail on the head. For me, the it really helps me if there's a huge, you know, a broader purpose behind our work. Um, and a lot of that more recently has been public transport, how we can, yeah. you know, increase public transport in the city, but do it in a way that helps make the city a more usable place for everyone. Um, so we've been fortunate to be involved in a number of quite significant public transport projects like the light rail project through George yep. Street and out to yep. Randwick, for example. And they are definitely big, tough projects. But to see the change that that has brought to the city is just super rewarding. I've got to say that um, that light rail or tram, whatever you want to call it, um, is great. Uh, I catch it regularly. Oh, great. Um, I think it's, yeah, we we should never have ripped it up. But anyway, that's, that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> yes, that, that is the problem. <laughs> um, yeah, it is. And I hope uh, Gladys Berejiklian, New South Wales Premier, is listening to this podcast. <laughs> okay, Um both of you have had some connection with overseas, haven't you, in terms of overseas experience and overseas um, connections. Um, Bianca, can we expand on that? Yes. Um, well, one of the first projects that I um, had excitedly put my hand up for when I was uh, starting out at Aspect was a project in with our Shanghai studio, um, Dream Centre Shanghai, which at the time the client was DreamWorks. Um, and so that was that was really exciting, um, getting to work with um, the team in China. And you know, when you're um, out of uni, the idea of working internationally is very appealing. Um, so that was a really interesting learning experience. Um, and coming out of that, um, managed to work on a, a handful of um, water play projects actually with Kate. So um, Kate's have been the designer for Darling Quarter um, okay. Waterplay Playground um, for Len Lease and Combank, is that right? Um, then made her skills to uh, very in demand um, in China. All the developers wanted, and a you know, at five times the scale Waterplay Playground on all of their developments. So then again, um, being Kate's sidekick on a bunch of really fun um, Waterplay projects in in China. Okay. 
through our Shanghai studio. Yeah, so you, you, Kate, you've also had some um, overseas work. Yeah, right? less than Bianca. I guess I had family young, relatively. Right, okay. So having young children definitely makes overseas work more challenging. Yeah. Um, but I've managed to sneak away from them a few times <laughs> and go off and do some pretty useful study tours. One around water play when before we designed Darling Quarter. Another around um, light rail in Europe before, we, again, we took on the commission to okay. design the light rail. But more recently, have been doing international work without going there. So a lot of VCs, oh, okay. so a lot of working remotely. We've got um, some pretty interesting water play projects in a number of places, including the Middle East. Um, and we Dubai, I assume? Or D- Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi, yeah. Okay. yeah. Do you think that perhaps every architect should go overseas at least for a little while and sort of see how things are done or not done perhaps mm. and then come back and, and have um, – w- would you think that perhaps they would have a different um, uh, well, a different view or, 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 a, mm-hmm. or a different, dare I say, dare, dare I use the word aspect, um, <laughs> on, on how things are done here or how things should be done? Do you think that might, might mm. be helpful? It's almost, almost like a gap year for, for, um, yeah. for architects. Uh, from my perspective, yes. I think you learn about different environments by, you know, taking yourself and being an outsider. It's You think you understand your city if you grow up here, but you get a very different perspective on it if you go and live somewhere else and then you come back with, you know, that fresh lens of, you know, how your mm. life here compares to l- living in another city. Um, I think it's really interesting to go to other denser cities and mm. see how much more... Uh-huh, okay. Um, mm-hmm people get out of their public realm for example i think that's why i've always been fascinated with going to japan and seeing how people use mm. open space in japan mm. you better be careful because japanese <laughs> japanese population is actually falling yes so it may not, may not be, may as, not be as, as dense, dense as, as, as you mm. want it to be yeah. um mm. bianca what do you think i yes i would have to completely agree so i was really lucky i did my last semester of my undergrad um in venice at the institute of architecture okay. there wow um, That's, that, that that sounds yeah. in venice <laughs> okay um which was which was obviously incredible living in venice and going to uni there um where a 45 minute walk to campus was completely normal. You just wouldn't bat an eyelid. Uh-huh. Um, and then after uh, six months in Venice, I went and worked in London for another six months. Okay. And again, you know, I didn't know anyone that owned a car living in London. Mm-hmm. And so I think already my lens was very biased towards um, what I feel landscape architects advocate for every day here in Sydney. So I feel like I've seen the impossible, you know, a city without cars and roads, and yet everyone manages to get their groceries delivered and go to work and everything. So I I do feel like I bring that perspective to my work insofar as I just don't believe the impossible is impossible in the same way that others might having seen it somewhere else. Okay. I think a 45-minute walk from Venice, you, you've gone into another country, haven't you? <laughs> um, there is um, there is also the, the opposite side of that, that we can teach mm-hmm. um, the world um, some things in terms of design, mm-hmm. Well, whether that be landscape design mm-hmm. or infrastructure design, whatever. What do you think we could teach the world design-wise? That's interesting. I was at an International Design Awards ceremony in Athens this year. And Australian designers were very well represented. Okay. I think there were 120-something awards. and Well, that's one serious award yes. ceremony. Wow. And it was a big one. And there were at least nine um, re- Australian recipients. 
which is pretty, I think it was the highest number from any one country. Oh, wow. okay. And I think because we have pretty interesting climate and it, can, it varies so dramatically across the entire country. Yeah, it does. I think Australian designers have learnt to be climate um, responsive in their design, maybe much more so than Northern Hemisphere architects because the cost, for example, of um, a building that's not passively um, ventilated in Australia is enormous. And so I think we have learnt to work with microclimate a little bit like some Asian architects have done. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's probably one area where Australia is elevating design and is perhaps showing the way. Um, yeah, well, I think we had uh, mm. we had four months of our smoky season, didn't mm, we? So we, yeah. we could we could teach um, yep. the world a few things. Um, do you think perhaps uh, there's a bit of a cultural cringe with Australian architects still in terms of wanting to teach the rest of the world things, or do you think that's that's just uh, um, a misnomer? Do you think perhaps we look out more than we should look in in terms of in terms of a design? I mean, you, you yes. mentioned uh, Kate mentioned uh, yep. passive house, which I which I thought was a great idea, and then mm -hmm. I've had other architects poo-poo it totally. <laughs> okay. yeah, so yeah, yeah. you think maybe there's there's some sort of, you know, um, there's not enough recognition that perhaps we have a lot more to offer than than, than, mm. than we think? That, you know, that is a really interesting question. It's a bit um, left of centre, but um, so this year I'm going off on a Byra Hadley scholarship. Okay. And the topic of the scholarship is about reorienting the way that Australians uh, or designers in Australia, where we look to for exemplars in terms of right. um, great public domains and great streetscapes. And uh, my hypothesis or um, the, the purpose of the research is to establish that we have looked towards uh, New York and Copenhagen um, for various reasons, for a very long time, and they've kind of been held up as gold standards. And uh, the purpose of my research is to reorient towards Southeast Asia. There's more links, I think, that we should really be exploring. Demography being the least of them, really, because you've got demographics, climate, um, you know, economic growth. There's lots of reasons that we might find something interesting in that part of the world. So I guess I can't say that we, I think we should stop looking outwards. I think we should start looking outwards and in different directions maybe. Back to local conditions. So in a more sort of personal sense, According to Monash University, 36% of all architecture lecturers are female. 44% mm -hmm. of all their students are female. Mm -hmm. At the same time, 28% of all AIA-registered architects are, female, are women. Mm -hmm. um, which I don't know whether that's a reflection of the AIA, but anyway, regardless. Um, and also, But also, only 11% of female architects become directors of their firms, mm. mm -hmm. which is really interesting. So... Why, can I ask both of you, um, why do you think this is the case? I think also if you looked at the figures for landscape architects, they would be slightly higher. Oh, really? So I think it's about 55% of graduates are female. Okay. But probably when you get to the top, I can't recall, I haven't checked the figures for uh, since last year, there are less women in the industry, uh, both 
architecture and landscape architecture towards the top. That's 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 a clear pattern. Right. Uh, and the why, I think it's a tough industry to re- remain in okay. once you have a family. Because being a deadline-driven industry, yeah. deadlines and little kids, it's, that's a tough mix. And so some people choose something else. Some people stick with architecture or landscape architecture for a while and then they find it doesn't work and so they do something else. It takes real tenacity to stick with it and to get through the period when your children are quite young and where it's really difficult and get to the point where they're older and it's a bit easier to Mm -hmm. manage. Um, I'm fortunate my children are teenagers now, but I certainly worked part-time for many years. And I think that it's, there's never a balance between work and family when you have little kids. It's always slightly off kilter one way or another. Mm. And, you know, both sides of it would say, Mm. you know, they would prefer you were spending more time here and, Mm. you know, family would Mm -hmm. say we prefer you spending more time here. So it's just a constant sort of um, jiggling for many years, I think, for many women. Mm. Apparently you can't leave little kids with a can open and a remote control, (laughs) can you? Apparently that's illegal. Um, (laughs) So I've heard. Um, Bianca, what do you you think about why... Mm -hmm. You're both at kind of different stages of your careers. So in terms of from your your view, how would you you, you think why those numbers pan out the way they do? Mm. Um, This is something I talk with my small group of female architect friends about all the time and... I'm in a very different position from Kate, you know, I'm full of beans. I'm in my head. I I don't see why I don't understand why that is the case. Um, and I don't see why it should be the case. Um, but I can see lots of structural reasons that work against women, um, who in, in any industry wanting to be at the top, to be honest. And I think there's an excellent book by Annabelle Crabb called We Need More Wives. Mm-hmm. And essentially it comes down to, you know, structure, uh, sorry, societal norms where women tend to be the primary caregiver, even when there is no full-time caregiver. So, right, okay. so yeah. even if I'm working five days, the likelihood that it's my mom picking me up from school and not my dad is going to have an impact on my mom being able to network at um, after work events or, you know, do that extra presentation or go on that extra study tour or just it's it's endless the ways that this has an impact um, in a way that you can't put down on paper. So, you know, on paper, it, it, it might seem as if, oh, it's it's, you know, all the barriers have been removed it must just be because women don't want it as much or whatever. But I, I do feel as if there it's very kind of low level and at every level mm. that makes it really hard, I imagine. I wouldn't know. Interesting. I, I could tell you from my own experience, and this yep. might make you feel a bit more positive. Okay. Um, <laughs> when I started in journalism, and I've been yep. doing this, this well, this this particular job for about, well, not, not here, but yep. this sort of, phase of my job yeah. for about 20 years yes um it started off more of a male profession yes mm-hmm. it's now changed yeah to more of uh, i know teaching certainly yeah. for example because my wife's a teacher so yes that's become i mean men are disappearing out of teaching yeah. like it's in at all levels yeah you know from the from the top yeah principals down to you know the the, the trainee teachers mm-hmm. so i guess there's a the architecture or landscape architecture may well also go the same way mm. I, I'm, I'm i'm assuming yeah so so I think we are fortunate in that our practice has really high numbers of women mm-hmm. and we do um, 
really work hard to keep women in the company after they've had children. We yeah. also encourage men to be caregivers, to take time off to look after their kids. We've had a number of dads who've you know started working part time, and the, I, th- I think that's the answer: giving men permission okay. to be more involved in family life, so that it is not always the default that the woman is the primary caregiver. It would be nice if a couple felt like either of them could be the you know the primary caregiver or share that more equally yeah yeah mm. so yeah uh, my effort has really been around trying to make men feel like they can and do you think are supported men, to. men don't want to perhaps take the time off do you think that's that's a problem no i think in society they haven't felt that they had permission or that oh, they were okay. encouraged to i think there are a lot of men that wanted to over the years and okay. didn't really know how to get there oh, okay yeah, that's interesting all right um yeah, actually, I did a story last week. Um, not only not only is this construction company giving maternity and paternity leave, it's it's now giving a paternity leave. So in terms of it's giving um, leave in case you have a sick pet. Oh, <laughs> which, which I thought which I thought was really nice. Um, can I ask uh, both of you um, who mm. were your heroes? Um, and I don't mean like you know, as in like DC Comics heroes, but mm-hmm. I mean like, uh, if you had them as heroes, that's fine. It's not a problem. Yes. <laughs> um, in terms of your your careers and, and in terms of um, Ooh, uh, yeah, that's very hard. That is hard. Okay, I have one designer. You can make it up. I've, I've always admired, but this is a completely a stylistic admiration. I don't know the woman, so I don't know <laughs> if I would admire her if I met her. <laughs> but I've always looked at the work of Carme Pinos and thought I really like she's an architect right. how her work responds to the landscape so she's a Spanish architect who okay. I think has done some pretty beautiful projects that I would call landscape architecture projects bridges and you uh-huh. know, public domain pieces okay. yeah Bianca oh I don't know I, I maybe you can ask me right at the end I can ask yeah. you right I shall do that <laughs> you'll be able to think of someone You know, every, every well, living in Sydney you know, and and travelling to Melbourne a fair, a fair bit over the years, um, you know, the, I can see the difference in design. And every time I talk to an architect or anyone really in Sydney, I mean, anyone who has an mm-hmm. opinion, you know, it's basically <laughs> the view comes across as design is really hard in Sydney. Um, and by that I mean nothing's ever done to to a to a level or or, or to a in a, in a way that, that seems to satisfy everyone. Now, perhaps that's a bit of a golden unicorn type thing, mm-hmm. but why is design so hard, in particular in a place like, like Sydney? Should it be that hard? Is it that hard? I mean, good design, not just design. I think saying. we have been lucky. We've achieved some amazing results in Sydney. I think some of our public realm projects, like the Goods Line and Darling Square and UTS's Alumni Green, we are very proud of the results that we've achieved there and they are hard to achieve and it does take a huge amount of um, bringing on board of people throughout the entire duration of the project. You might convince the clients early on of what the overarching vision might be but then you have to get it through approval process and that approval process is I mm. think potentially a little bit harder in Sydney than it is in Victoria. We seem to add a few extra layers of approval in Sydney yeah. just to give us a few extra hoops to jump through. There's, um, a, there's the NIMBY layer, I've heard. Yeah. And again, we haven't felt that so much. We did have that 
maybe on a few projects where we were trying to get skate parks, for example, right, into okay. open spaces. And uh -huh. that seemed to be, that hit a raw nerve with certain sectors of the community. So that's that falls into the NIMBY. Mm -hmm. People have, unfortunately, um, the wrong impression of skate parks and what they bring. Yeah. Um, that's probably been the main area of, of, of you know resistance in terms of how people use open spaces that we've encountered. Okay. Bianca? Well, I guess I don't have loads of perspective because I've worked 90%, 95% in Sydney. So I would have said design is hard full stop. Yeah, okay. Um, well, that, that's a perspective. That's a very interesting yeah. perspective, okay? That's, that's, yeah. that, that is actually interesting in itself. Yeah. And I mean, it's, and then again, with a very landscape public domain lens that, you know, I, I do feel like that's particularly challenging because um, you've got a million stakeholders <laughs> and a million interested parties. Okay. Everyone has their own idea of what um, a landscape or a public space should be doing. And yet no one is responsible. The number of times that Ked and I have worked on a project and we've had to point out that, you know, we don't have a design manager or we don't have someone managing our particular scope. Um, I think, and there's also, I think it's an amazing thing, which is why Australian landscape architecture is some of the best in the world, but it's also really challenging, is that uh, we have really high expectations from our our landscapes. So it's, you know, it's not just a beautiful foreground to a building, mm -hmm. which it has been for a really long time, or, you know, in, in other countries and other places. It's, you know, it has to be super active, super usable, rain, hail or shine. Mm -hmm. It has to stack up budget wise, even though there's no commercial leases on the space. So it is just, Tri I do feel Triple like bottom line. Yes, mm. that's it. So I, yeah. I do feel like there's, it's, it is challenging. The kind of projects that we do. But it's made us tenacious. I think on the whole, landscape architects in Australia are very tenacious and passionate people mm. who will fight hard for the right outcomes. Mm. Okay. Um, one of my, actually, uh, we've had a few conversations in the studio recently where uh, the value um, of our work, it, someone was a bit confused as to why something would take X amount of time. Um, and it was an architect. And I kind of wanted to say, um, imagine designing a building where a three-year-old with a crayon has designed all the utilities in plan <laughs> like this and and you have to make the design work. And that I feel like that's kind of what we're working with. We have so little control over pretty much 80% of what we're working with mm. that actually half of the half of the the time is spent is, you know, completely invisible. Um, things like for example, on Key Quarter, mm -hmm. so much time goes into making, uh, figuring out traffic movements right. so that that laneway can be pedestrian only. So the number of hours that you're looking at bus movements, where trucks are going to drop off, um, you know, whatever loading movements, people moving in and out, uh, rubbish removal, all of this is completely invisible and is not capital D design. Yeah. But without it, you would not have, a, you know, 100 metres of completely pedestrian public space. And it's invisible and it's, yeah, it's, that's really hard. Sounds like you don't like engineers much. Um, I, was going to, I was going to say that, um, and hello to all the engineers out there. Um, can I ask um, both of you, um, what is your, I don't know, dare I use the, the P word, but perfect design? Um, and why did you pick that? 
You mean a, a design that we've done? Well, no, it doesn't have to. Well, Something it, it, we it can be the design yeah, that you've done okay. or one that you've a seen design, okay, or yeah, that yeah, you've yeah. seen or that you, you've studied or um, just one. We needed a bit of notice for this one, Brian. Okay. Yeah, that one's tough. Sure. Oof. We've got time. I mean, we're not going anywhere. I mean, it's just getting hotter in here, that's all. Okay, I'm going to... I'll have to think about that one okay, as well. I'll, Perfect I'll, design. You might have exist? to come back to that at okay, the end. Along, yeah. uh, we're getting close to the end, so yeah. I'll, I'll, along with your hero. Yeah. Um, okay. So are there... Can I ask, in terms of uh, each of you, um, are there particular roles or projects that you would think were turning points in your careers? Hmm. Definitely. Mm. Such as? Okay. So maybe for me it was the Darling Quarter project with Land Lease and CBA. Um, and why? Turning point because it was a huge step change for me in learning. Prior to that project, I'd done a couple of tiny little play spaces, but nothing like that scale and never water play. So it was the first significant water play project in Sydney. And there was a huge amount of risk associated with it because it hadn't been done here before. We imported all the equipment from Europe, it, you know, it was untested in Australia. We didn't know if it would be successful. We didn't know if the water effects that we had in mind would actually be achieved until the day the water was turned on for the very first time. So although we prototyped concrete finishes and precast concrete finishes and a whole lot of other things, we couldn't prototype the water effects. Um, so, you know, I had a very big smile on my face the day the water was turned on I and bet. it actually worked. So, it, yeah, and that project for me involved a huge amount of research. I researched my reading books about play, reading online journals about play and children and how they socialise by going to Europe and looking at some water play parks in Europe. Um, so it was like a, a sort of a three-year research piece mm. applied into one design. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, yes, I had this great piece of knowledge that we could use on other projects. Mm -hmm. So it was a very steep learning curve that we could then um, apply those lessons to other projects. And Bianca? I don't know if I've been working long enough to have a turning point. Okay, let, let me let me rephrase yeah. it. So, is there some part of your career that you would think that you started seeing things differently mm, to okay. how you do now? Well, probably. I w probably key quarter, to be honest. Okay. Because, again, um, having worked on it... Um, pretty early on at Aspect. It was, you know, maybe the project where there were all of these amazing architects that were on the job and I could see what they were doing. Um, and, you know, at that stage of my career, I hadn't completely committed to one path or another. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the for the architects, I think probably the briefs are as, as good as they're ever going to get, the site's as good as it's going to get. You know, that in terms of a job, this was an amazing job. Um, and I, I guess the turning point would have been realising that, in fact, I still wanted to be doing what I was doing um, as the landscape architect, despite seeing all of these architects in action on, you know, what should have been my dream projects on my with my training. So maybe for that reason, I would say that was a bit of a, you know, a, a, like a light switch moment, like figuring out, oh, I'm doing yeah. what I want to be doing. That is a very, very important moment, I think. Yeah, yes. okay, fair enough. So what experience, both at work or outside of work or, mm -hmm. or whatever, have uh, informed or, dare I say, developed your leadership style? 
are, are there any particular experiences or particular well let's let's say influences then i mean mm-hmm. I, I, no, I, I, I think so. actually the um so for me being in the profession for over 20 years in sydney there weren't a lot of great um female role models that i could look up to when i began but in the last five years, I feel like there's been an enormous shift in women in leadership. Mm-hmm. And Key Quarter is the, one of my prime examples of that, where we have um, senior um, people running the project who are women in various sectors. So that has been great to see other women in different professions bringing their years of experience to the project, learning from their leadership style, that has been quite rewarding, actually, to be on this project and see the number of high-profile women and how they behave. And you take away from that things that you apply to your own practice and your own leadership um, style, I suppose. Mm-hmm. is a little bit of learning via osmosis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and maybe deliberately learning, you know, as well. You can see, okay, in these tough negotiation-type meetings that approach perhaps works better than this Mm. approach. So we've certainly been able to see plenty of tough discussions happen on not just Key Quarter, but a lot of the big projects we're on. And to see women tackle those discussions in different ways is really helpful, I think, as a, you know, person coming Mm. through the profession. Okay. Hmm. It's, I think it's an interesting question because I do think, uh, especially recently, there's a lot been a lot of writing and a lot of books about uh, women and their leadership styles mm-hmm. and are there ways to be a more effective female leader versus just an effective leader. Mm. And I do feel like we, you know, I'm definitely guilty of this, of holding female leaders up to a much higher standard than... I think that's actually everyone does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I feel like... Um, you know, maybe a year or two ago, I definitely would have said, oh, this is my list of women that I'm going to be like, and this is how it's going to be. And I think what that doesn't do is uh, let you own your own style and uh, let you um, tap into, you know, your own um, way of being a leader because you're just narrowing your lens so much. So I would probably say, I guess it's maybe a full circle of, yes trying to very consciously manipulate your leadership style to maybe in the last 12 months just deciding i'm going to be completely neurotic if i (laughs) am going to second guess every decision and how it's going to be perceived Mm. and um will you know what will people think of me as a woman if i'm like this versus like this and oh you know lots of things that we conversations we have in the office about how to be on site how to be effective on site with builders or Mm. you know in difficult situations if you feel and i kind of just feel like maybe you just need to trust yourself a Mm. little bit and you know okay see how you go okay yeah not sure if anyone can be no matter what gender they are to be effective with builders (laughs) architectural window systems are proud supporters of the a and d podcast and the architectural profession throughout australia visit aws.com.au or contact one of our team for support with your next project Lastly, looking back on your careers, and both of you are in different different stages mm-hmm. of your careers, what, um, I guess, without sounding glib, what are you most proud of? And that, that could be a design or it could be a milestone in your careers. Mm-hmm. 
I might answer first if that's right. Sure. Mm. We had um, an alumni event at Aspect, I think a year ago, mm-hmm. maybe two years ago. And we invited people who you know currently work for us and used to work for us. And it was just lovely to be re- – it was like a family reunion in a way. People who hadn't worked for the firm for 5, 10, 15 years came back. And it was really nice to talk to them and see where they are now and how their experience of working at Aspect helped them get there. Okay. So I think for me it's to um, think about how many people's careers I might have in a tiny way helped shape. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's yeah, that. That actually would be would be very interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah, you, it was, you would you would never know that otherwise, would no. you? If, if they hadn't come back, no. Yeah, and Bianca. Mm. Um, I think what what am I proudest of? Well, if I reflect upon the relationships that we had with particular clients um, and architects years ago, and uh, thinking about um, the amount of time an effort that has been invested in building a very trusting relationship where um, eventually uh, the value of landscape architecture and the public domain is now very elevated in someone's eyes and being Uh able to see that uh, over time to the point where, you know, you might work with this person again and uh, there's kind of a, a level of trust um, that uh, what you're doing is important and that you'll do an amazing job, um, being part of building those relationships and um, seeing how that's impacted the, the new work that's coming in the office and the kinds of projects that we're now doing is um, pretty satisfying. Okay. Wow. Now, Bianca, I haven't forgotten about you. Okay. Yes. You, you, you've got two questions okay. pending. Yep. Heroes? Yeah. And perfect design. Now, for heroes, you can say you can say Iron Man if you want, but you don't have to. Heroes. Come. Well, I'm probably it's going to have to be Jane Jacobs. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's that's usually you're you're the third person who's actually. Um, oh really? Said, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> quite interesting. Why? Yeah. People first. Okay. Yeah. All right. And uh, perfect design. I mean, a- anything in the world. I mean, the tree. Trees are perfect. I've Tree. just realised. Yeah. Trees are perfect. Yeah, okay. I, it's, I joke about this in the office all yeah, the yeah. time. Oh, people go to all of these efforts to do all of these incredible shade elements, or you know, anything you need, a tree can probably do it. Uh, that's <laughs> that's so true. I can't there, think. There's of a, a bumper sticker on with on that. <laughs> Trees yeah. are perfect. <laughs> Trees are perfect. Okay. I, no, I like it actually. That's 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 lovely. Okay. Yeah. Well, that has been absolutely enlightening. Thank you, ladies. Um, you've been listening to Kate Luckcraft and Bianca Pineda from Aspect Studios. Um, thank you very much for coming in. No problem. You're um, welcome. And we shall we should do this do this again. You've been listening to Talking Architecture and Design. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>